Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me on the show tonight from Reading, Pennsylvania is Micah Storms. Micah, how are you? Jason, I'm doing well. Um, a little bit rough day here. Uh, I didn't see the game live because I was with my students teaching. So I had the pleasure of going home and watching a 15 to 5 just butt whooping. Um, so that was just so much fun to watch that on replay. But uh, I had to watch it, so I had an idea of what to talk about. But can't say I love watching those types of games. Yeah, today was a hate watch kind of game. You don't want to watch it, but you just you have to power through, unfortunately. It was awful. Also on the show with us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? You know... If you like horror movies, that was the game for you. It's just, just an absolute murder scene. And um, but you know the end is in sight. Uh, brighter days should be ahead, and uh, we'll just kind of grind our way through it. Yeah, another ugly series. Red Sox dropped two out of three to the Texas Rangers. It was one of those. Even though they won a game, it felt like a sweep. That's just how bad it was. <laughs> it just really it did not feel good at all. The Red Sox are now officially mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, as if we needed the reminder. But it was made official after the series finale in Texas. They are officially out. So there's no way in for them at this point. So season is pretty much over. Um, we got you know about another week or so left here for the Red Sox and a very interesting offseason ahead, which uh, we're certainly a lot to get to there. But let's just break down this Texas Rangers series as brutal as it was. Uh, we'll get to our midweek bottom five list. And we'll start at number five. Micah, who do we got? Coming in at number five is a, a duo here, um, but not a, dy a dynamic duo by any means. Uh, it's Nick Robertson and Mauricio Yovera. Uh, these were the two big trade deadline relievers that the Red Sox, I guess, got. Uh, but they've been far from that. Uh, this series was another just poor performance from both of them. Um, start with Robertson today. Two innings pitched, five hits, one walk, four earned runs. He really hasn't shown really any stretch with the Red Sox that he looks like a big-time reliever a big league reliever his stuff is okay um but he just looks really hittable um and he did again today and then for Yovera, he threw one inning gave up two hits two earned kind of put the game away there on tuesday put it out of reach um but again if you look at him i've seen a lot of people on twitter kind of say oh Yovera is starting to figure it out in a socks uniform over his last seven games he has a 6.75 era like i just I'm all for trying to find relievers, you know, you know, throwing these darts and finding relievers. But Yovera was acquired at the deadline and 
he has been terrible since they've gotten him. So I just like trying to make a case to say, oh, this is a this is going to be a good find. I just don't see it. I, I I didn't see it really from the beginning. I was I intrigued initially, maybe just based on the stuff. But once you watch this guy pitch, you know he he has no idea where the baseball is going, and he also gets hit pretty hard. So, you know, Robertson has a career six point five five ERA. And Yovera this year has a 5.26 ERA. These are not big league arms for a bullpen. And it's exactly the reason why the Red Sox are just non-competitive in September. They needed real big league arms and they got triple A arms, four A arms. <laughs> However you want to put it, these are not big league arms and they've gotten a lot of innings, especially Yovera. He's been put out there a lot um, and he's been put in some pretty big situations and he's just not not a guy you have any confidence in when he goes into the game that the game is going to be um they're going to hold the lead he's just no confidence so to me i don't see the the progress that some of the red Sox fans are talking about with these two and personally i don't see either of them impacting the 24 red Sox next year terry I was just kind of looking down the list. You got to scroll way down to get to Yuvera. And uh, I see another name down there, Richard Blyer. <laughs> That's just how awful this year has been just to see that name and just instantly like cringe, like, oh my God. And it's because of the failures of, of those guys that you're dealing with guys like Yuvera. And Robertson was in the Kike Hernandez trade package. So that's how we got him. But Yavera's just, he's been absolutely terrible. An ERA north of five, uh, a whip of 1.60. That's astronomical. You don't really want to see anything above 120, 130. Uh, opponents are batting 267 against him. He's essentially just a warm body at this point that they're throwing out there to eat up the innings. Um, Robertson, I who knows what his future is. I don't think we were expecting anything significant, you know, in a Kike Hernandez return. But if, if these guys are auditioning for a spot in 2024, they're not getting the part, you know, and that's essentially what this is. And we'll see what happens on the way out. One guy that kind of snuck in, I know we're not talking about good, uh, the good aspects of the series, but, because uh, we lost it, but that Zach Weiss kid is is interesting to me uh, right now. He had a bad start. He has his ERA uh, in the mid threes. Um, seems to be pitching some quality innings. But you get back to some of these guys, and you know they're just they're just guys like Yuvera. They're just they're just small parts of the Bloom era, and I just can't wait to close the book on it as much as possible. Yeah, these were your, you know, at least two of your trade deadline acquisitions for the bullpen, and they both are just terrible. And there were so many other arms that moved at the deadline that the Red Sox could have been in on. I mean, guys like Andrew Chafin moved, you know, Kendall Graveman got traded. There were better relievers out there that if, you know, Bloom was willing to part with at least some prospects, he could have gotten. Instead, he didn't want to part with any real prospects. He only wanted to part with the garbage at the bottom of the system. And this is what you get. When you give up garbage, you get garbage back. 
And that's what Robertson and Yovera are. They're nothing special. And it just, it makes it all that more embarrassing, the commentary from some of the pro bloom people when those trades were made, just trying to justify or trying to, you know, look for the positives in, in Yovera and Robertson. Oh man, if they can figure it out, like he's got a plus curveball, and, you know, I may have really found something here. Spoiler alert. No, he didn't. He didn't find anything. And that's why he's gone because it's just moves like this. I mean, even the Rangers, they made the move very early in the season, but getting a role as Chapman from Kansas city. Yeah. He's a scumbag, but he's an effective scumbag pitch. Well, against us, this series, there were moves that could have been made, not just at the deadline, but before that. And Bloom didn't do it. Instead, he brings in these two bums. And this is what you get. You get, you know, Robertson going in there. The game was already out of hand, but he just made it all that much worse. And Yovera put that game out of reach, in, you know, in game two. So just awful, awful acquisitions. And, um, you know, the bullpen, I don't think was necessarily the weakest point of the Red Sox all season, but they needed help. At the position they were in at the deadline, they needed some help. This was not it. These guys were not the answer. So I agree, Micah. I don't see them being a part of the, the 2024 team. They better not be because this turns into like a – if Mauricio Yovera turns into your next Ryan Brazier where he's just somehow still on this team and still gets like a, a spring training invite, I'm going to lose my mind. I don't think it's going to happen, but I just – I hope those two are gone. I, I don't want to see those guys ever again. They're not good pitchers. They were not good acquisitions. You know, be gone with them. So we'll move on to number four on the list, and that is Trevor Story, who just continues to not figure it out at the plate. 0 for 6 in this series, drew a couple of walks, but that was it. That batting average is down to 171 now. And I think Trevor Story is extremely lucky that the Red Sox are out of playoff contention and that basically nobody except for like us and a few other rabid fans are paying attention anymore because if they were, he would be a huge story right now. And again, you can tie it back to high and bloom no longer being here. This was bloom's biggest free agent acquisition. The biggest contract he handed out to a free agent, you know, during his tenure. And this is what you get. You know, Trevor story was, Pretty bad last year before he got hurt. Then he gets hurt, comes back this year. To, you know, The rehab takes forever. They bring him back. I can't remember any impact hit he's had since coming back. I know he hit a home run, I think, like a week ago. But I think he hit that home run in a game that they either eventually lost or they were already losing. The defense has looked fine. But at the plate, he looks like the really bad version of Trevor Story, the version that strikes out a lot, You know, doesn't get impact hits. Um, you know, doesn't take pitches. Like it just, he looks completely lost. And I don't know if it's just because of the situation they're in again, teams out of it. It's hard to really be motivated, especially for a guy like him who really missed most of this year. But I don't know. He still had a chance to make a difference when he first came back. The team wasn't completely dead in the water at that point, And he didn't help at all. He's been a black hole offensively. So Next year is going to be a big season for Trevor Story because if he doesn't figure it out, then that narrative of, well, he's just a Coors field hitter, that's going to start to come true. And yeah, that narrative annoys a lot of people, but so far that's looking like it's the case because he just looks completely lost up there. So 2024 is going to be a big year for Trevor Story, whether he's at 
shortstop, second base, whatever, he's here. You're stuck with him because of that stupid contract. So he better figure it out. Micah, your thoughts on a uh, story? You nailed it, Jason. Um, huge year next year for him. There's going to be um, expectations for him to really turn it around. I think a lot of fans were at least understanding of the idea that you know he just had major elbow surgery and he probably doesn't have that strength in there and he probably did rush back a little bit but eventually you have to live up to that contract and i'll i'll flat out say it i loved when they signed story i was all on board and uh last year it it was really that like 10 or 15 game stretch where he just got stupid hot and he had like i felt like 30 rbis in that stretch and other than that, though, he was a 220 hitter or something like that. And what's really concerning for me is the 34.3% strikeout rate. That number is that is way too high. And, and I think that's what's frustrating is when you watch him hit, if they throw a slider on the outside corner, he's swinging at it no matter what, and he's not hitting it. It's a guarantee. And it's like, well, you can – you can get more at bats in spring training next year, but if you cannot lay off that pitch, we are going to see the same exact results this year because pitchers are not going to say, "All right, I'll throw you fastballs." Uh, they're going to make him lay off of that first, and then they'll attack him differently. So, I will give him the benefit of the doubt this year because we have yet to see Trevor Story have a full spring training. So, I will give him that benefit of the doubt next year, but. If he does not get off to a good start in April, there's going to be a lot of of heat on his end. The the Ryan Brazier hate um, and some of the Tristan Casas hate in April there that there was this year, that's going to be directed towards Trevor Story next year if he does not uh, get off to a good start. His defense is spectacular. I love him defensively, but you can't have a guy hit 177 or whatever it is right now uh, he's getting paid way too much money. And frankly, with uh, the uncertainty around Turner, uh, most likely losing Duvall, this team is in desperate need of right-handed power. And, you know, if he's going to hit 220, he better hit 35, 40 home runs because that's that's what this team needs. They need right-handed bats. And Story was supposed to be that one of those guys, and he has been far from that uh, in his two years with the Red Sox. Terry. I also was a huge proponent of Trevor Story. As I've said many times, I thought he represented the best value of all the massive contracts that got signed. And it's another case so far of be careful what you wish for because it's not, it hasn't been good. I'm setting a, a deadline of July 1st of next season. And if he's not somewhat formidable, at least slightly above MLB average, then I will full out admit I was wrong. That's a terrible contract. I, and I, I wish they had stayed away from him. The Carlos Correa, by the way, was a free agent too. So maybe bullet dodge there. If, if we ever planned on going that way, the twins are going into the playoffs and I don't know if Correa is going to play again with his plantar fasciitis. That's going on, and they were. I think they were concerned about his foot, uh, and, and uh, I think his leg as well. 
But um, with Trevor Story, there's another name that haunts me here when, when I think about Story and I, I think of that other player. And it might not be the best uh, comparison, but remember how awesome it was when we got Alan Craig along with Joe Kelly in the John Lackey deal? And we thought, okay, Craig's going to bounce back with us. He's going to be an amazing corner infielder. And here are his 2014 numbers. Uh, 2015 was his last season, but here are his 2014 numbers. Um, How many games played? All right, 126. Story's not going to play that many. But um, eight home runs, 46 runs driven in. Hit 215 with a 279 on base. Those numbers haunt me. Like looking at what we have right now and um, what's going on with Trevor Story. Uh, also with Story at this point, where is he? Right here. 35 games so far. He's played 130 at bats plus whatever he had in Worcester, which was a full two weeks. So lots of at bats. He should be ramped up. He should be showing us a glimpse of what we had hoped he would be. And we're not seeing it. The sample size is growing here, series by series, and the production is not. So there's a lot to be concerned with here. There really is. And and I hate that because, like I said, I wanted him. I'm glad I haven't bought a jersey yet. I'm surprised I didn't right away, you know? My one of my favorite hashtags in MLB is hashtag story time. I, I love that. I loved it when Rockies fans would throw it up. And I'm like, man, I wish we could get a player like that. And um it's just it's been a massive disappointment. And I still think, and I've I've said this a bunch of times, he, he needs protection behind him. If if Connor Wong is hitting behind him, what's he gonna get to pitch? If he's got, if he's got Tristan Casas hitting behind him, no one wants to walk him in front of Casas because then it might be a two-run homer, you know. So, I I think they need to be a little bit more strategic in in how they put him uh, in the order, but he's gonna be one of the guys. And when spring training comes, I don't care about spring training. The spring training MVP always ends up being a dud. Last year, it was Bobby Dahlbeck. Pablo Sandoval was just off the charts one of those years in spring training. And we were thinking, all right, finally, we might get something out of this contract. And then he blows out his his belt in Toronto. Um, so it's going to be a while before I'm, I'm somewhat comfortable with, with Story. And he has had one good game, Jason. He was four for four against the Tigers. No home runs, but it, it was nice to see at the time. That was a while ago now, <laughs> but yeah. And it, that whole, I, I got so sick of the, you know, well, you know, he didn't have a spring training. So how can you blame him? I, I agree with you. Like he's had plenty of time to ramp up. He should be ready by now. He had the longest rehab assignment known to man. So I can't imagine he needed much more ramping up than that. And it just never Never came to fruition. He's the so. only player I've ever seen delay his own return to to the big league roster. Because yeah. Cora was like, okay, we think it's going to be Tuesday. And, and Story's like, whoa, I think I need more time. And so then it ended up being Thursday or Friday, you know, later into the week. But Micah? 
I think with Story, what's interesting is we've seen two years now where he really doesn't resemble the hitter that he was in Colorado, and maybe he never will be. Maybe that was the altitude of Colorado. That's definitely a possibility. He, would, he wouldn't be the first guy. But do you think that the hitting coach, Fatsy, could be – you know, his job could be on the line just because he can't get a hitter like story to even look like anything that we've seen from him. You know, I mean, could we, could they say we want a new hitting coach because we need to try to get him going. And obviously what we've done over the last two years isn't working. I don't know if they would do that for necessarily one guy, but there are some things going on in in the, the hitting department that I think are a little concerning with how streaky this team has been this year. Um, but that just kind of went through my head is, you know, could a new hitting coach uh, bring some different ideas, maybe spot something different uh, to help him in particular? Well, I think given the season they had and given the offseason they're about to have, I mean, any of those coaches should be looking over their shoulder because um, I think everyone's on the table to be replaced. Well, just real quick, I agree with what Jason just said. I mean, all their jobs are on the line, but as far as Fatsy goes, I mean, he's the one that I wouldn't mind staying because, I mean, the Red Sox are third in hits right now, as bad as they are. Only the Rangers and the Braves are above them. Let's go over to batting average. Okay, so third in batting average, which makes sense. Um, on base, where are we? All right, so we're 10th on base. Not great, but, you know, is what it is. Let's check OPS. Red Sox are seventh in OPS, so we're we're okay in most of those categories. Let me just check doubles real quick. Wow, number one in doubles in Major League Baseball. Isn't that crazy? We're a last place team. <laughs> That's just so wonky. So I I really think that this data shows Fatsy is is doing his job and Trevor Story to most of our points so far in this segment just not doing his there's just no feel for it and that's why alan craig and him haunt me <laughs> yeah it's fair it's fair he started to remind me of uh Tulewitzki, who also fell apart when he left colorado that's another scary thought but hopefully it doesn't get that bad uh, so moving on to number three on the list micah who's coming in at number three Coming in at number three is John Schreiber, and um, could have been worse because he got he had a lot of base runners on on Monday's game, and then today he gave up two earn as well. The game was kind of out of hand at that point, but uh, Schreiber is definitely not the same pitcher that we saw last year. Last year, you could essentially put him in in any position, any situation. Could be righty, lefty, bases loaded. It didn't matter. He seemed to get out of it every single time. And he had a 2.22 ERA last year. This year, he has a 4.12 ERA. And that's not terrible. Um, but it's definitely not the same dominant Schreiber that we saw last year. And Alex Cora certainly likes to put him in those really tough situations um, or against the top of the order or the meat of the order in an inning. Um, because he has confidence in him. And I get it from last year, but I'm starting to wonder, should Schreiber still have that same level of confidence, um, especially going into next year? Um, if you look at his K per nine, it's almost identical to last year. He had a 10.2 last year, and he has a 10.3 this year. So he's still able to miss bats, which is good. But to me, the telling sign is the walks. Last year, he averaged 2.6 walks per nine. 
This year, it's 4.6 walks per nine. And you just cannot walk guys when you're coming out of the pen. It's a recipe for disaster, especially with the way Corey uses him. He sometimes brings him in with runners already on base. So if you add walks to that, it just you're one hit away from a tough inning, you know, and I feel like that's happened to Schreiber a couple of times. Um, so with next year, you would imagine Jansen and Martin will be back based on their contract situation. Um, I imagine too, that Whitlock will probably, will probably be in the bullpen. So I don't think Schreiber has to necessarily be the eighth inning guy, but as option four, I still really like him there, but I don't know if I love him getting guaranteed high leverage situations every single time out. I think he does still need those outings to just get some work in and, you know, get a nice one, two, three inning and get some confidence. But it seems like every time Schreiber has been put into games, it's been a high leverage situation. And that's not always the easiest for a pitcher who's kind of trying to find something. So definitely Schreiber's taken a step back this year. Um, again, he was a waiver claim. So it's not like this was top prospect you know that the red sox had and he started to figure he, he came up and figured it out right away um he was kind of released by a couple of teams so maybe the red sox just struck gold last year and now we're kind of finding he is kind of more of an average pitcher than the guy we saw last year terry i like john schreiber a lot and um he was basically the Brennan Bernardino of last year pulled him off the scrap heap. Uh, you know, I know they're one's a righty, one's a lefty, but still kind of came out of nowhere, was unhittable for a little while. And he's got that funky delivery, which is kind of hard for hitters to read. And I think there's enough video and um, repetition, at least against the American League East um, opponents that he faces. They're they're probably a little bit more used to him now. And you kind of knew last year probably wasn't who he was going to be. I mean, he had an ERA under under one for quite a while. And now uh, in recent games, it's drifted above four. So um, I kind of feel like he will have a spot next year uh, on the team. And... I'm still a Whitlock guy as long as they keep him in the pen. I, I think he's starting to show flashes of 2021 again, uh, Garrett Whitlock. I mean, uh, Martin's coming back. Uh, Jansen's coming back. I'm kind of glad we hung on to them because if we were going to go into blow-up mode, they're hard guys to replace. I mean, if you got a good trade package, I guess I would have just lived with it. But um, but with Whitlock, Jansen, Schreiber, you know Brennan, Brennan – uh, Bernardino uh, will be back. So there's four. Um, you've got a nice back end of the bullpen. And if we can finally have a starting rotation, the first one we've had since like 2019, um, maybe the usage of some of these guys will go down a little bit and you're not going to be so heavily reliant on a guy like Schreiber. Um, and, uh, you know, all of them, you know, it, it'll just... It'll just balance it out. I mean, last I checked, which I think was last week, the Red Sox bullpen was ranked 19th, okay? And that's crazy considering Martin's got an ERA of 1.07. Just filthy this year. And Jansen's been okay. I mean, I, I, I'm comfortable with what he's done. I think he's he's 
converted what 30 out of 34 save opportunities, something like that. Not bad. That's about average, um, you know, for a top closer. Um, so the bullpen's just been terrible with the exception of those two. And the reason the bullpen has been terrible is because they, they come into the game so early. So if we can, if we can finally get a rotation, some of these guys should bounce back. And I mentioned a guy like Zach Weiss. I want to see a lot of him because I want, I, I, and there's not, there's what nine games left, I think. So I just, Hopefully we can figure it out. We we've got a mess this winter. I you know Bloom getting fired for me was a great day, and I thought like after the fact I'd be pretty at ease. But I've got a lot of anxiety. I'm like we've got a massive lefty problem. I just found out tonight for the first time that oh, and we we were talking about it. Um, Roman Anthony's a lefty. Oh man, that's so tragic. We have just so many lefties. And so we've got to figure that out. You have to figure the starting rotation out. I think the bullpen is really the least of our problems, even though it's kind of been the focal point of this series, but it's gonna, it's the, the next GM has a ton of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you guys. I think Schreiber absolutely, you know, deserves and will have a spot on this roster next year. Um, he's had a down season, but it hasn't been outright horrible. Um, and I really think it's the usage rate that caught up with him. Um, last year, he appeared in 64 games. Not even in the minors did he ever do that. It, his most games appeared was like in 2018. He had like 49 games in double A. So he went from just, you know, bouncing around and not really pitching that much to all of a sudden being in 64 games in one year. Um, and then even this year, you know, even with the injury, he still appeared in 42. So he, he's been getting used a lot more than I think he's used to I think particularly with a guy with that kind of delivery and that kind of arm slot, you can't rely on him for, you know, 80 to hundred innings out of the bullpen. You've got to really pick your spots with a guy like that. And he really should just kind of be a right-handed specialist. You know, if you're running into a lineup, that's got, you know, like the White Sox, right? If it's, you know, Robert Jimenez, you know, another tough righty, that's where you bring in Schreiber. You know, you don't just bring him in the seventh, eighth inning every single time when it's a close game. So I think that's something that Cora has to, you know, learn with him is that this guy's not going to be able to hold up for, you know, 40 to 65 appearances. It's going to have to be closer to like 30s for him. And he's just going to have to be more of a right-handed specialist. Because I do, I, I think the usage, you know, I mean, he got hurt this year. Um, I think that contributed to it as well. And I just think they they burned him out a little too much. So still has good stuff, still has a live arm. Um, I, I Again, I do like that that delivery and that arm slot. I think it's tough on right-handers. I just think cut down the usage a little bit, and I think he'll give you a much better season next year. So like you guys pointed out, Martin and Jansen will be back. Bernardino's going to be in the mix there. Josh Winkowski will be in the mix there. Garrett Whitlock will be, I think, back in the bullpen. So you don't need to be tossing John Schreiber out there, you know, three to four times a week. You can really pick your spots with him, and he can just be your right-handed specialist. And I think that will keep him healthy, and I think it will also just 
it'll keep him more of a mystery too to other teams. And I think that's where he does his best. So I think the usage caught up with him, but hopefully, you know, with a more bolstered rotation, he won't be as relied upon as much as he was this year and last year. So that's another reason why they really need to go out and fix that rotation. I can't remember if I asked this question uh, with you guys, or maybe it was the early week crew, but I think Winkowski's numbers are better than who he has been. And a, a couple of stats that bother me are his whip, which is right around 150. And his batting average against was 280. And I think he has gotten that down to like the 260s or so. But I feel like he could be a sell high guy right now. Like just he put together a decent season. ERA looks good. Um, I think his strikeouts look good. Huge sample size. I mean, he's one of the most heavily used relievers in major league baseball and he has been number one at times you're looking at trade packages and you know the bluminati will be afraid of trading prospects you know and i i'm not a big trade your prospects guy but i think you've got some guys on this major league club right now that represent good trade value you know you put i'd hate to put duran in a trade but i think it might happen um, but Duran Winkowski and maybe, maybe one mid-level prospect might net you, might net you a, a decent right-handed bat, you know, maybe, maybe a better option than Duvall, for instance. Like, I just feel like you can part with some of these guys or do you guys think Winkowski, you know, maybe the new pitching coach will make him better and, and he's worth keeping because that could be the case too. But I would move him. I don't hate the idea. And it, he sort of also fits that, you know, a, a spike in usage kind of profile because he went from being a starter, you know, pitch every five days to all of a sudden gets turned into a reliever and now has made 56 appearances out of the bullpen this year. So that's a big jump for a guy who's used to getting five days rest to all of a sudden you're pitching in 56 out of 162. And you're going back to back sometimes. And, you know, he has been highly used this year. So you do wonder, is that going to catch up with him the same way it did John Schreiber? And he has a down 2024. Um, I don't hate the idea. If, if a team wants him included in a big trade package and you're getting something significant in return, I wouldn't be heartbroken to see Winkowski included in that. Because uh, I do think that he could be a regression candidate. Mike, any thoughts? I yeah, I think trading Winkowski, I, I, I think that would be a mistake. Um, a guy that throws 98 with 99 we've seen this year, the Red Sox just don't have guys like that in their bullpen. And you look further down the road, you're going to lose Martin and Jansen ne after next year, and you're not going to probably bring them back based on their age. So they'll go elsewhere. Um, and then after that, who's your bullpen? You know, you, you have Whitlock. Um, maybe how goes into that role. Um, but you're looking at having to spend to go get a bullpen and you could have Winkowski Whitlock, like that could be your eight, nine inning guys potentially. Um, I just think the stuff is too good with Winkowski. I don't like the usage. Um, I think the two to three innings that he was throwing in the beginning of the year has kind of caught up to him now. 
um, because now he's just max effort for one inning. But he had a, he has a lot of innings on his arm this year based on somebody who's just max effort. So I, I agree there is concern with the, the whip. <laughs> it's very high, especially over, I would say, probably since the All-Star break. But I just think he's got the swing and miss stuff, and we just – haven't seen the Red Sox have a lot of swing and miss in that bullpen. And I just getting rid of somebody who has five years of team control. Um, you better get back a really good bat because bullpen arms are not the easiest to replace, especially guys in the, at the end of a, a game. Yeah. I just, he, he's also, when he's on, he, he can, he can get a ground ball, you know, and then a double play and out of the inning. And, and I like that too, but he, it's just frustrating when he comes in, like, you know, right away, you know, within the second or third pitch, if he has it or not and, and what kind of an outing it's going to be. So, but we'll see um, if, it, if it happens. I mean, I, I don't, I guess I don't have strong feelings either way. But if he does get shipped, uh, it's not going to bother me any. And one last point on Winkowski. Coming into this year, what was your expectation for Winkowski? I, not what good. And I I see where you're going with that. And, you know, he, he's exceeded expectations for sure. Yeah, I, I think he has exceeded it like times five or ten based on just how good he's been. Um, and I'm just curious, like, if he goes into next off into the off season with the idea that I'm a reliever now, you know, and maybe he just works on a, his command a little bit. He's added some pitches, I believe, in, the, in spring training. He added a cutter, um, which is a really big pitch. So if he could just keep working on that command piece, um, I, I personally think what he's done this year in terms of like the ERA and the strikeouts, I think it's very repeatable. Uh, for next year, I could totally see him having another big year. Um, it, it just really comes down to do they have a starting rotation that prevents such a high usage rate? Like the, the, these guys have just been abused out there, um, you know, game after game after game. And I would like to see them have a rotation where you don't have to use Winkowski four games a week to tr to try to win. Like that's just it's not sustainable over 162. So. I'm 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 a big Winkowski fan. I think he's got the stuff to be an elite reliever. I'll uh, put a Winkowski jersey for you on my uh, Christmas. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean he's you know he's a guy that if they do you know decide not to move him and he goes into next year with that that mindset of I'm going to be a reliever and you know he's your seventh inning guy then. You know, I, I'd be very curious to see how a full season of that goes because um, I do like his stuff. I just, again, the, the usage, that always concerns me. A big spike like that, I just hope that he's he's able to maintain that and uh, not get hurt, you know, if uh, if that's going to be the case. So Winkowski would be definitely someone to keep an eye on for sure. Um, with that, we'll move to number two on our bottom five. Terry, who comes in at number two? That will be Brian Bayo, and uh, some of you might have thought he would be number one. More on that later, but um, dude got lit up today. Just massacred out there, uh, and it was quick. Uh, he gets out of the first inning cleanly, 
and then it was bombs away in the in the second inning. Um, Jonah Heim, who I'm more and more impressed with uh, as a catcher. I mean, he's basically emerged as a top three or four catcher in, in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. Um, blasted a three-run homer, and that tied the game. So Bayo had three runs to work with, thanks to Adam Duvall, who I think hit a yeah, hit a three-run homer uh, himself. So Heim ties it. Uh, Mitch Garver um, also hits a, a solo shot. Uh, you know, with traffic on the bases, Adolis Garcia uh, plated two runs, and it just it went sideways fast. And I'm not really concerned. I mean, it's kind of a weird time to be, you know, a Red Sox player. You don't know. They don't know who their manager is going to be next year. They don't know who the executive is going to be. Some of them are probably wondering what kind of wholesale changes are there going to be? Am I going to be here next year? And I, Bayo isn't one of these guys, obviously, but, but it's just there's a lot of distractions right now. And so I'm not surprised that the number two offense in Major League Baseball tuned him up pretty good. Um, earlier in the year, where was it? On, let's see, July 14th. No, excuse me, July 5th. Uh, that was Bayo's 14th start of the year. Um, he pitched a gem against the Texas Rangers, who were a hot team in baseball at that point. Uh, he went seven innings, uh, just gave up two runs, uh, not a ton of strikeouts, three, but was was quietly in control uh, of the entire game. The Red Sox got the win uh, by a score of four to two. So, uh, you know, bad start. It was ugly to watch, but I, I think the future is still bright for Brian Bayo. Like a. Yeah, this one was painful to go back and watch because I knew his stat line and Bayo's my guy. So to go back and have to watch <laughs> watch him give up eight hits and four walks. Uh, when I was getting, when I felt the vibrations in my pocket about the score updates and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, these have to be like dribblers or ground balls through the hole. They were not ground balls through the hole. They were rockets. He got shelled. Um, probably his worst start this year, I would say. Um, it, it felt like he has moments in games where it, it could get away from him, but he seems to grind through it and kind of limit the damage. At least this game, there was no limiting of the damage. He just they the Texas just ambushed him, and he had, didn't he didn't have an answer for it. Um, but I, I I was stunned. I don't know if anyone else felt this, but I was stunned to see him throw 38 pitches in the second inning and then come back out for the third inning. And he threw 33 pitches. I, that to me makes no sense. Why is Brian Bayo, who is probably in terms of value based on the fact that this team has no pitching essentially moving forward, might be your most valuable piece <laughs> on the entire team. Why is he throwing 82, 83 pitches in three innings in meaningless September games. I don't understand that. Um, the way they've handled him at times, they've handled him with kid gloves. Um, he had that one start where he got pulled in the fifth inning at 81 pitches or 82 pitches. And it's like he just threw 82 pitches in three innings. He should have been 
probably pulled after that second inning. I would probably never let him go 38 pitches in one inning. But if you really wanted him to work through it, fine. But once he's above 25, 30 pitches, get him out of the third inning. Why? I, that made no sense. Like that, this is not something worth risking an injury where he he throws 71 pitches in two innings. That just is absurd. I didn't understand that. I, I had to do a double take. I had to add on a calculator the numbers because I just didn't believe it. Um, I, to me, reckless to, to keep him in the game when the Red Sox are completely out of it. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, that was definitely a weird decision. And it's not like they could say, well, we didn't want to you know, give him a crisis of confidence. I mean, the team's going to be done here in nine games. He's going to have a whole winter to worry about his confidence. Like, it's not like the Red Sox need him, you know, to be, you know, right on track for that next start because it's going to be an important game. There are no important games anymore. So, yeah, I feel like leaving him out there and just letting that pitch count continue to rise in a meaningless September game made no sense. Um, for In terms of just Bayo in general, look, he's still one of your, you know, big pieces moving forward. Um whether or not he'll ever be like a future ace, I don't know at this point. I think he could end up being more like a really good number two or number three. I don't think he has ace type of stuff because he just doesn't get the swings and misses that he needs. Um, the other thing that he's got to work on is he has the opposite problem of, so like Tanner Houck, we've talked about it before, how he just doesn't seem to get rattled when he's on the mound. He can, you know, he gives up a couple of runs. He just kind of takes a deep breath and like, He's still in there. Brian Bayo gets rattled. When things go bad, they go bad quickly. And he gets very emotional on the mound. You can see him kind of, you know, spiking the rosin bag on the mound, getting really frustrated with himself. Um, you know, today, pitching coach tries to go out and calm him down. It gets worse from there. Um, and this was really concerning, too, because he had a 4 nothing lead to, to start off. Like, the, the Red Sox started off gangbusters. He gets the three-run homer from Duvall gets another solo shot from Dahlbeck. He's up for nothing. Like he should have confidence going into that. And then all it takes is one, you know, one bomb from Jonah Heim, who's a really good power hitter. And you could see it. Bayo just, you know, shaking his head, frustrated, cursing at himself. And then it just got worse and it snowballed and it never got better. And he never regained control of his emotions and he never regained control of the game. So look, he's a young kid. He's, you know, this is his first, full big league season. I think that the maturity is going to come in, you know, as he goes on and, you know, he'll get, he'll get past those issues. But for right now, I mean, the, the emotions get the better of him too many times. And that's what leads to some of these bad starts. He just gives up one bad hit and just kind of loses it on the mound. So that's something that they're definitely gonna have to work on him or, or work on with him because, he is still one of your better pitchers. He does have still have very good stuff, but he needs to learn to keep the emotions in check. You know, when things go badly, you've got to just be able to take a deep breath and and try to keep your team in it and try to get out of the inning. Instead, he just he lets loose and it it usually leads to bad starts like uh like today's was. Yeah, there's he's done okay at times though with traffic on the bases and kind of you know held them from scoring. I mean today he just got blitzed right away. He like the he just they were on him and it, it was fast and he just had no answers for it. 
He is coming, though, off of what was essentially his best start of the season against Toronto. He he only went six innings, but he struck out 10 batters, which was his season high. So, um, you know, I, I feel like he just kind of sleepwalked out there. Uh, I'm just looking at his previous strikeouts. Struck out eight against the Yankees in June. That might have been his previous high just going down the list right now i thought he had another eight strikeout game now he had a pair of seven strikeout games but the strikeouts is what we need to see you know you hear the pedro comparisons you hear the high praise from him and uh others as well so um i'll be interested to see what a new uh pitching coach does for him and kind of just just go from there but um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'd be curious too. I think a new pitching coach would definitely get a lot more out of Brian Bay and a lot more out of some of these other young, uh, young arms that you've got. So with that, we will move right into number one with a bullet on the bottom five. Terry, who do we got? We are going with the pitching coach, uh, Dave Bush. And, um, I, I just, there's no coach that needs to be replaced faster than Dave Bush. I mean, Carlos Febles, not a popular guy, probably going to lose his job. Um, but how many times have you seen Dave Bush go out to a mound and, and Micah cited it earlier today, talk to the pitcher and then it, it just, it gets even worse. It gets even worse. It happened with Bayo today. It happened, I think, with Yovera a couple series ago. It was a three-run bomb that was given up that series. The game got really out of control. I want to say that was one of the Baltimore games. Um, what has what has he fixed? What has he fixed on this team? Like everybody flounders with Dave Bush. And uh, Juan Nieves got a fairly quick hook. He only lasted, I think, what, a year and a half with the Red Sox. He got fired um, for Carl Willis. Uh, Dana Lavangi at times I didn't think was that good, but, you know, we we won a World Series with him. Um, I just... I said one of the biggest regrets Heim is going to have is probably the 2022 trade deadline, not getting under that tax so that he could go all in this year with one last big push to save his job. And one of his other regrets, I really believe, is going to be not, not firing Bush last year and bringing a different pitching coach in. His butt was on the line. And he brought in a pitching coach that no player on this team really had a record of success with. And you look at one of Bloom's best pitching acquisitions, Michael Waka, but Waka had rediscovered his changeup in the final six weeks of, of the 2021 season. So I can't, you can't really give Dave Bush much credit for him. Um, you look at Schreiber, maybe they unlock something with him, but I just, he's pro Dave Bush is probably going to be one of my least favorite pitching coaches of all time. I mean, do you guys can off the top of your head? Can you guys think of another one that was pretty bad? 
Boy, I'd have to really go back. I yeah. mean, maybe maybe the Kerrigan days. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he, he was pretty bad, but it's it's been a while. Yeah. I couldn't stand John Farrell, but the pitching staff was amazing under him as, as the pitching coach, which is mind boggling to me because he could not manage a bullpen to save his life, but he could help these guys, you know. So anyway, I don't know how many times Dave Bush can can make our uh, you know bottom five, but but I, I what the season ends on what October first? I better be hearing on October second that he's no longer with the organization. I agree, Micah. I agree that he's got to go. Uh, I'm gonna kind of pick on the uh, Hauk start just for a while. I think Bush has to go uh, Tanner Hauk. He may end up being a reliever, but he was drafted to be a starting pitcher and Hauk continues to have the same struggles since he got called up and it's control. And I know he has a funky motion, but we've seen pitchers who have a similar funky motion chris sale from the opposite side who can throw strikes and hawk was throwing great on tuesday night and then the fifth inning he walks the eight and nine hitters it's like that can't happen that is unacceptable and there is blame on hawk he's the guy throwing the pitches but i wonder how is is hawk not prepared to, to face the eight nine hitters like what's the philosophy there what's the pitch calling for the eight nine hitters I'd, I'd have to go back and really watch the at-bats but when you're winning and you're facing the eight nine hitters in any lineup it should be pounding the zone with, with fastballs and, and and just letting the defense play and he walks the eight nine hitters and then the inning gets completely out of hand and he's out of there without getting an out to me that falls on bush it, there's a ton of blame that falls on on Hauk, but who's who's helping him get through these situations? Who's preparing him in between starts? That's the pitching coach. And we have not seen guys like Tanner Hauk really make strides as a starter. Garrett Whitlock this year, he's had health issues, but he's taken a step back. You know, the, the, there's just there's not enough evidence. You know, Bayo's taken a step forward this year. But now he's stalled a little bit, you know, in the second half. We could be fatigued, but he's stalled in, in his development right now. And I, I just don't think Dave Bush is the guy to get him over that next step. Um, to me, we, we've seen enough Dave Bush over the last couple of years. And it, we just, they need a new program. They need someone new with ideas. And I'm with you, Terry. I, I, it better be October 2nd because there's no reason to to go a month or so and be like, well, are we going to keep him, get rid of him right away? <laughs> he's got to be the next guy to go. In my opinion, he's, he's number one on the chopping block. Yeah, I agree. It, it's time for, for Dave Bush to go. I just don't think that your pitching staff has really taken any big steps forward under him. Um, Garrett Whitlock didn't make any, take any steps forward. And a lot of that was his own health problems, you know, stuff like that. Tanner Houck, Never took that step forward that everyone thought that he would. Brian Bayo started out great, you know, started out out of the gates red hot, and I think he's actually somewhat regressed as the second half has gone on. 
Um, so I don't think that he's getting the best out of him either. Um, I just, I don't know what Dave Bush really does to make that pitching staff or to get the best out of that pitching staff. Um, and a lot of it you can blame on Bloom as well, because again, you know, Bloom brought, bought the groceries and he bought crappy groceries. He gave him, you know, Corey Kluber instead of bringing back Michael Walker. So some of it, you can't always blame on Bush, but at the end of the day, the, the Red Sox starting pitching and some of their bullpen woes did them in this season. You you brought up the offensive numbers. They were a pretty good offense all year round, um, all season anyway. So they didn't really have trouble scoring runs. They may have had some dry patches, you know, here and there. But for the most part, the offense scored runs. It was the pitching that did them in this year. So if you're going to be making changes anyway, you're going to bring in, be bringing in a new CBO potentially some managerial changes. We don't know yet. Um, but if you're going to be making changes anyway, Dave Bush has got to be the first one that you, you let go of. And I, that that's an easy one. And you know what? Is it a little bit scapegoatish? Maybe. I think Bloom was, you know, also a little bit of that. But again, you're the pitching coach. It's your job. Your job is to get the most out of these guys. And Dave Bush didn't do that. Um, and again, just, you know, the, the situation in today's game, it's just a shining example of that. You've got Brian Bayo out there, you know, gives up a homer, is obviously frustrated. Dave Bush comes out. I don't know what he told him, but the very next batter hit a home run off him, and, and everything just got worse. So obviously whatever, you know, he's saying out there on those mound visits, they don't help. Um, and I don't know if that's because just the pitchers are tuning him out at this point or what, but. Yeah, he's got to go. It's, you know, again, if you're, it's an off-season of changes anyway. He's an easy one to make. Jason, I'm so glad you brought up Corey Kluber. So glad. Corey Kluber last year had a 1.2 walk per nine. His career is 2.0 walk per nine. What do you think his walk per nine this year was? Double that, four something. 4.2. It was 3.4. So he more than doubled it. And that's mechanics. (laughs) That's made there. There was something mechanical going on. Obviously his stuff isn't great, but something mechanical was going on with Kluber and the pitching coach couldn't help him. And maybe they were trying to work on things. And that's when he hurt his shoulder, possibly like there was something going on there with Kluber and yet, did Kluber have a terrible year? Yeah, I hated that signing from the beginning. But Corey Kluber was never this bad. I think Dave Bush had a lot to do with that. And w- when the new GM comes in, hopefully he knows right away who his guys are and, and knows that they have a track record of success. There's something, There's something unique about how they identify – how to work with pitchers, and that's going to be so important. I, I kind of hope it's not a first-time pitching coach. Uh, I hope it's somebody that has a, a pretty decent track record. Um, so who who knows who that's going to be? Hazen is still the big name out there, but you know the consensus among us is that he probably stays in Arizona, but. If he does come over, he Brent Strom is his current pitching coach, and he was the godfather of the Astros pitching program, the current dynasty. Uh, so, uh, you know, that would be amazing. 
And Carl Willis, I, I mentioned this on the last show, he's produced five Cy Youngs. One of them was Rick Porcello when he was here in Boston. He was the guy that took over for Nieves. We had some pretty good pitching staffs under him. I, I don't think we were like lights out necessarily, but good track record. And if Francona retires, probably a whole new pitching staff. So I don't know if they would be open to a reunion with him, but hopefully it's someone that's, that's, you know, really good and maybe really innovative. And, you know, some of that's with analytics and I'm not a big analytics guy when it comes to the lineup card, but I am with pitching. And so hopefully, Hopefully just the IQ uh, amongst the, the coaching staff and the GM is, is a lot higher than what it was uh, under Bloom. Yeah, I agree. I hope whoever the new CBO is that he's already got someone in mind and then they work together and they say, okay, out of the, between the free agents and trades we can make, how do we build a rotation for 2024? Let's get it done. And cause that, we, we all know that's the most important issue facing the Red Sox is off season, apart from obviously finding the CBO and finding new coaches. The the biggest problem is the rotation and just fixing that pitching staff altogether. Cause you, you get a good rotation, you get a solid bullpen, you bring back a similar kind of offense. That's a contending team. That's a team that can absolutely contend for the division and the playoffs. So it's got to get done. And yeah, I, I agree. It's that, that should be like priority number two, you know, get the CBO and then, okay, let's find ourselves a new pitching coach and, Let's build it that way. And, so. and a wholesale program too. New analytics guys, guys to send down to the minors that can start developing these guys much earlier, you know, than before they get to the major league level. Cause we're not doing it. We're, we're not. And I've said this a bunch of times before, but the new GM, he's got an empty cupboard <laughs> when it comes to pitching. He's got amazing bats you know, starting to hit the upper levels, but man, his, he's got some work to do when it comes to pitching bloom left him nothing. And there's no prospects that are going to be called up next year that are going to come up and make an impact. We've got, you got Shane Drohan who was very up and down. So that, that's all you have. That's all you have to be excited about. And he could be another Chris Murphy for all we know. Yep. Absolutely. Mike, any uh, final thoughts? Yeah. With the new GM coming in, I'm curious too. Um, I don't think under Bloom with the draft, they drafted any, any pitchers in the first two rounds. So I'm curious, will that, uh, will that change and will pitching because there's not a lot of pitching in the system. Um, I wonder if, they're going to be very aggressive next year in the draft and maybe go pitching heavy. Um, that doesn't always work. Um, the Royals did it a couple years ago and they essentially whiffed on everybody. So it, there is risk, especially injury risk. But uh, even if you only hit one out of five, you know, that that's one guy that you kind of need. Uh, you really cannot build a successful pitching staff via the free agent market. It's just, it's risky and it's costly and uh, whoever comes in, you might be able to to build the, the pitching back up initially via trades and, and free agency, but it's not sustainable. They got to figure that out uh, moving forward. So they do have some reinforcements like a Brian Bayo. 
that they could put into a staff that Brian Bayo isn't put in and expected to be the ace of the staff when he's called up. That's ridiculous. But, you know, could he be a number five starter when he's called up? That seems more realistic and, you know, uh, manageable for a player. <laughs> so that, that's what I'm wondering with the new GM. I remember when David Price got called up in Tampa, he was just pitching out of the bullpen. Like they didn't throw him into the rotation. That's how I think he got the last out against us in 2008 to send us home for the year. Um, so it, it would just be nice to have that type of a setup, you know, to kind of take the pressure off, but that's it for me. Yeah. Well, especially thanks to Bloom, they've got like 18 middle infielders in their top 20 prospects. So yeah, it'd be nice to see some pitchers actually break through and change up that formula a little bit too. So we'll see what happens with that, but we will wrap here. Uh, keep an eye out for our series prediction show. We'll be giving you our predictions for the White Sox series. That will be available for your evening commute. And then on Friday, we're going to have something special for you guys, something a little different. Um, I'll just leave it at that, but you definitely don't want to miss it. So definitely keep an eye out for Friday's release because you're going to love it. We had a guest on, and it was epic. Yep, absolutely. So definitely check that out on Friday. And then, of course, the weekend crew will have you guys on Monday to recap the White Sox series. So everyone have a good weekend. Take care.